0: Alright. Good morning, good morning. Only, only in Alberta can you have plus 34 and then 11. Uh, all in, all in two days. Uh, we function in community because we're always better together. And, uh, sometimes that better together is God answers prayer right from within our, our community here. Sometimes we have a car that needs to be fixed and somebody goes, I can, I can fix that. Uh, and sometimes we need people to grieve alongside of us and, and help us. And so if you could do that with Noreen, that, that would be awesome. I know she would deeply appreciate it. Um, so let me pray. We're going to continue in this series. Uh, don't read into this series. Like, I, I as I was preparing for this, I, I, God has been teaching me stuff in the summer, and I, unfortunately, I'm an open book at times, and you're like, oh, he's overworked. He's overstressed. Don't, don't read into that piece of this. God's just teaching me things about who I am, which are hugely important for me, but also, I believe, for, for us as, as a people. Um, and so let me pray and then we're going to talk about doing the things that matter most today. God, thank you that, uh, in August, August 20th, we start to see and shift our mind away from things of the summer to the fall. And fall's almost like a reset for us. If we have kids, they go to school. Schedules become more normal. Church ministry starts up. The The patterns that we always long for or that we look for that summer brings, sometimes we'd love to have them in the fall. And so God, teach us what it means to be in your rhythm. Uh, we pray for Noreen and her family as they navigate just the loss of someone who's dear and important to them. We hate that this world's a broken world. And we know that you hate it even more, that this wasn't the design that you created. And Lord, teach us the importance of, of keeping our eyes fixed on you, even in the midst of a world that has all kinds of pain attached to it. We know that you can be our great counselor. You're the one we take refuge in. And so teach us what that means. We ask all this in your name. Amen. I I want you to think of of, of a treadmill, okay? Some of you instantly go, okay, I'm not thinking about a treadmill because it's the summer. I don't want to be in that sweaty gym. Some of you go, I have a gym membership. I probably should cancel it because I haven't been there for six months. But I want you to think of a treadmill, and I want you to think of that little switch on the treadmill that if you keep bumping it up, the treadmill goes faster and faster. And and sometimes when I, I we have the uh, the the big Y by our house in the south, uh, and sometimes when I'm running on the treadmill and I see the person beside me, their speed is faster, what does it cause me to do? Well, I got to bump this up a little bit. <laughs> And suddenly I'm running way faster than what I thought I really should be or I'm capable of. And sometimes that's what life feels like for us. Little by little, barely noticeable at first, we do a little bit more, we add a little bit more, and we add even more to that little bit more. We get efficient, which we think is a good thing. We get a little more aggressive and suddenly we've taken on more and more and all of a sudden we wake up. We wake up one day and we feel overwhelmed. I wonder how many of us in our own way would say this. I always feel a little bit rushed or anxious, or overwhelmed with all that I have to do in a day. And if God would just change the hours in a day to 30, that would be really helpful. If you're like me, you would try to squeeze a little bit more. Get a little more efficient. I mean, I'm the guy at the grocery store who analyzes all the lines to see which one's going to be the fastest or maybe you're like me who analyzes the potential capacity and speed of a car as I pull into a stoplight I need to get behind the right one now this is going to get really personal I know daybreak you can handle this do you multitask in the bathroom It's not just being rushed. But I wonder how many of us would say occasionally, or maybe even often, you're disappointed at the way life's going. The pace, the intensity starts to get you thinking, there must be something that's missing in my life. I have no time to do the things that I want to do, no time to do the things I love, or worse off, I don't really have the time for the people that I love. So then you start asking yourself, and we asked ourselves this question last week, is life really supposed to be this way? What if I told you that the greatest enemy to the life that you want may be the life that you're living? So the message that I'm going to try to communicate today is a difficult one because it is completely opposite to the way that I live which we usually would say you're a hypocrite. In fact, uh it, it, you uh you don't have to be around for, around me long enough to understand that I hate slow I would say this to people, I'll slow down when I get to heaven. I'm guessing and I'm hoping that most of you or at least many of you are not as dysfunctional as I am. But I'm guessing that most of us would say we are busier than what we think we should be. I mean, we got places to go. We've got jobs to do, we've got bills to pay, we've got kitchens to clean, we've got kids to raise, we have to read the news, that biased news so that we can get really mad, yards to mow, dinner to cook, clothes to buy, clothes to wash, clothes to buy more clothes because we don't like the clothes that we have, photos to add to our reels, captions to write on Instagram. Netflix series to binge on or like the Wilkes family to watch Sister Wives tonight. Just because the pace of life is what it is, you find yourself going faster and faster and faster until you're sprinting. You realize I don't have time for some of the things I wish I had time for. I mean we don't really have time for meals with our family we don't really have time for deep conversations with our friends we don't have time to rest or reflect or read or really enjoy intimacy with our heavenly father we just don't have time but the good news is neither does anybody else so it must be okay right everyone else is busy so that must be god's will What if I told you the greatest enemy to the life that you want may be the life you're currently living? See, in this series, we're not just looking at the truth of Jesus, which we always do and always will, but we're also examining the way that Jesus lived and the way that Jesus loved. In fact, when you look at the Gospels and take a step back, it's pretty fascinating to think the way that Jesus lived. He had three years of ministry and in those three years, he embraced the Father's mission. He recruited a heavenly team of 12 ragtags. He trained them in kingdom values. He endured the hatred of the Pharisees. He resisted the temptation of the, of the evil one. He healed all kinds of sick people. He loved all sorts of, of hurting people. He preached the word of God fearlessly. Jesus fulfilled 351 Old Testament prophecies, and Jesus never once ran. When you read the Gospels, there is no record of Jesus running, jogging, fast walking, skipping, sprinting. Jesus was busy, but he was never rushed. He never said to his disciples, Hey, guys, we're behind schedule. Come on, let's pick up the pace. Thomas is late. Leave him behind. We're going to teach him a lesson. Jesus never said, they need us in Capernaum and we've got to get there right now. He was busy with important stuff. But he never rushed to somewhere. In fact, I'm going to show you a phrase that I just couldn't shake from my mind this week. It's found in Mark chapter 2, verse 14. And this phrase is one that you're actually going to see over and over and over again in the Gospels. The phrase is what Mark describes Jesus like. Here's it on the screen. He said, As Jesus walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax collector's booth. Jesus then said to him, follow me. Levi got up. He followed Jesus. I was thinking about Levi. And this is what was fascinating to me. If Jesus was unrushed and Levi followed Jesus, he walked with Jesus. Then Levi should have had an unrushed life. Then I thought about you and me. I thought if we follow an unrushed Jesus, we should be living an unrushed life. See, the the way I live is very different from the way that Jesus lived. So if you find yourself where the pace is picked up beyond what you expected, and you're often rushed or stressed or overwhelmed or exhausted trying to get it all done, always falling short, Jesus invites you to Come. If you're worn out, overwhelmed, if you're burdened, Jesus wants to give you rest. Maybe some of you this morning haven't experienced rest in a long time. Last week we looked at Mark chapter 11. We looked at it actually out of the NIV. I want to read it out of the message today. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Jesus said, come to me. Get away with me. As you get away with me, you'll actually recover life. Jesus saying, I'll show you how to take a real rest. Then Jesus says, walk with me. Not run. Walk with me and work with me. Do it at your my pace. Watch how I do it. Learn. I love this phrase. Let me learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And Jesus says, I won't lay any, anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Jesus says, keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus says, get away with me and you'll recover your life. Walk with me. Watch how I walk. Watch how I love, watch how I live, walk with me. Don't just believe what Jesus believed, but also live the way Jesus lived. I want you to think about the way that he lived just for a few minutes. See, Jesus only lived 33 years and Jesus was called to be perfect and save the world. Jesus' mission was to give his life. He waited 30 years before he initiated a public ministry. It's fascinating to think what Jesus did. He was baptized by God the Father. Heaven opens up. This is in Mark chapter 1. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. The Father, God the Father says, this is my son who I love. I'm well pleased. God affirms him even before he publicly does any miracles. And Jesus is commissioned to change the world. It's a pretty big task. Jesus is ready after the baptism to go out and do what He was created to do. And what's the first thing that Jesus does? He takes a sabbatical. The Spirit leads them into a dry place for 40 days. He calls out on the Father. He draws close to God. He's strengthened by God. He fights off the enemy. His identity is solidified there in the, the wilderness. He spends 40 days with God. How about his first miracle? What was it? It's interesting for me to think that it was at a wedding. Jesus went to a wedding. He didn't announce who he was. He stayed till the very end. Then when they ran out of wine... He turned water into wine, which was just Jesus saying, let's stay in community a little longer. Let's just enjoy each other. One time, a synagogue leader came up to Jesus. His name was Jarius. The story's in Mark chapter 5. Jairus is freaking out because his little girl's dying. His baby girl's dying. He looks at Jesus and says, you have to come and save her. Jesus looks at Jairus and says, I'll get there. Jesus starts walking to go see this little sick girl. As he's walking along, another woman stops him, interrupts him. She is crying. She's been sick for 12 years. As another little girl is dying, he gives this woman his undivided attention and heals her. While he's taking his time, the first girl dies, and the dad is beside himself. And Jesus says this, time is in my hands. But Jesus heals that girl anyways. You look at it all the way down to how he got around. He's the son of God. He could have any mode of transportation he wanted. But he walked. If Jesus wasn't rushed and we're called to follow Jesus, if Jesus wasn't rushed in our soul, in His soul, why do we think we are? Now, I'm just a preacher. I'm not a counselor. Here's my best guess. My guess is that most of us are rushed over work pressure or pushing it because we're either running from something or running to something. let Let's just analyze me for a sec. I'm probably running from insignificance toward acceptance. I don't know what yours would be. Yours might be running from a past failure. Yours might be running from something that somebody said about you. You might be running from an insecurity that you're going to overcome so that you can prove those people wrong. Maybe you're running from a hurt. You're running from abuse. You're running from something. See, you got the goal, you've got the vision, you're running toward success. You're running toward that image, you're running toward popularity, you're running toward fame, you're running toward being like. You want it to be whatever it is so that you're accepted. The problem is, for most people in today's culture, is that you're chasing a life that will still leave you empty once you find it. What if the greatest enemy to life that you want is actually the life that you're living right now? Always rushed. Always pushing it. Some of you might say, Matt, you have no clue. I have a full-time job. You're just a pastor. You just show up on Sunday. You're saying to me, I can't get it all done. I can't slow down. There's too much moving I want to say very respectfully to you that you have the time for you to choose what you have the time for. See, the solution is not more time. The solution is what matters most. The reason why most of us don't have time for what matters is because we're mindlessly spending life, our life on what doesn't matter. Let me prove it to you. I could take a billion different illustrations let me give you three social media don't raise your hand how many of you are involved in some form of social media second one would be television third one would be video games well let's start with social media did you know that the average person on social media spends 706 hours per year now the good news is a lot of us are younger How much time is that? Well, let me help you understand that. A traditional workday is still about eight hours. 706 hours on social media, if you divided that into just normal workdays, that is four and a half months of work. Television's a bit worse. 2,700 hours, binge-watching Sister Wives or whatever you watch. How about video games? The average guy by the age of 21, this is males, the average male by the age of 21 has spent 10,000 hours on video games. What can you do with 10,000 hours? One thing you can do is if you worked at a 10 buck an hour job, you illegally worked for 10 bucks an hour, 10,000 hours, you'd have (laughs) 100,000. Another thing you could do is you could actually read about 2,000 books in that time. Another thing you could do with 10,000 hours, you could probably become a concert pianist. You could get a pilot's license. You could memorize the New Testament. You could get a couple degrees. All that thing points to this. Let's take it to relationship. With that wasted time, that 10 minutes here, 5 minutes here, 30 minutes here, an hour and a half there, we could actually reconcile a relationship with a family member that's got bad. You could perhaps have the most intimate relationship with your children that you ever could imagine. If we'd put away the stupid thing that we're doing and actually invest it in our families, we could actually have something that really matters. Or you could mindlessly waste your life on stuff that doesn't. So what if the greatest enemy to the life that you want is the life that we're living? Okay, so what do I do now, Matt? I have no clue. I'm struggling with this too. What I'm not going to do is I'm not going to give you a big list of things to do. But what I want to encourage you before the summer's done is that if you don't slow down, God might slow you down. I want you, and if you're the same as me, to stop and simply ask, who is God? See, the answer at its core is that God is love. It's not just what he does, but it's who he is. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And to do what else? Love your neighbor as yourself. See, at the core of all that God calls us here at Daybreak to be is to love, to be loved by him, to love him, and to love people on behalf of his love. Last week, I talked about a book that I've read this summer, John Mark Comer. He said this, love is in- incompatible with hurry. Let me say that again. Love is incompatible with hurry. I'm always in a hurry. Love, and the Bible says Paul's first definition in First First Corinthians 13 is what? Love is patient. Love takes time. Hurry doesn't have time. So for the next two weeks, I want to challenge you with something. I'm going to dare you to do this. Have it with your cup of coffee or your pumpkin spice latte. Pray it over your coffee. I'm fine with that. I want you to pray this with me. I want you to sit in it. And I want us together to see what God's going to do at daybreak, daybreak with this. The prayer is very simple. The prayer is this. God help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and love people deeply. Let me say that again. God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and love people dearly or deeply. I'd actually like you to just do that in the quietness of your seat right now. Just kind of say that quietly. God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. What's going to happen if we actually pray that prayer? The answer is, I don't know. But I'll tell you what God's been doing in me. It's a deep work. It's a real work, it's a healing work. The first thing that God has been doing in me is to be pres- teaching me to be present in the moment. I'm starting to recognize that I'm often there physically, but not there mentally. And as I'm praying this prayer, I'm engaging with people and leaving my phone or my work to the side. I'm listening to people when oftentimes my mind would be spinning away with another to-do list. I'm seeing needs in the lives of people that I was often too busy to see. I'm actually entering into the joy of hurting with people. There's a sense of fulfillment in celebrating with those who celebrate and grieving with those who grieve. There's something rich about that that we've lost in the church. It's helping me to be present in the moment. The second thing is that it's helping me to choose what's important and what to eliminate. As I'm asking God to lead my steps and to help me walk slowly, suddenly I'm just more aware that picking up my phone to look at something is not nearly as important as a person who's in front of me. It's helping me to say no to what doesn't matter and yes to what does. There's a lot of things that I end up drifting towards that really don't matter much. And here's what you might find. You may say no to some good things so you can say yes to some better things. But just because you say no right now doesn't mean you have to say no forever. You make love working out or gardening or playing on a softball team or whatever you've got. And so you say no now, but it's not a no forever. It's just in this season, there's something way more important. You have time for what you choose to have time for. The solution is not more time. The solution is more of what matters. So this prayer is helping me be present in the moment to choose what's most important to eliminate what's not. Here's the most important thing it's teaching me. It's helping me to sense God's presence and recognize his voice. It's helping me to see him working in places that I was way too busy to notice. He's prompting me to ask additional questions when I'm with somebody. Not just simply ending the conversation, but digging in just a bit deeper. He's prompting me to pray more with people and not just like, I'm your pastor so I can pray, let's move on. He's taken me to a different level. Here's what I've noticed. As I'm walking slower with Jesus, he's helping me love him more, experience him more, and love people more. I'm noticing that I'm starting to become just a little bit more like Jesus. As Jesus walked along, every person he came in contact with, every miracle that he performed, he did it because he was walking. So my invitation is for you to join me and my wife Michelle and pray and see what God does every day. God, help me to walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. Here's what's so interesting as we wrap up. As Jesus walked, all of his ministry, all of his life was about following the will of the Father. But where was Jesus walking? Jesus was always walking toward the cross. Day after day, step after step, moment after moment, he was fulfilling God's calling for him and expressing the deepest and most profound love for you and me. Jesus was walking toward the cross. So when we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, we don't just embrace the truth that he taught, but we also live and love the way that Jesus lived and the way that he loved So as I learn to walk with Jesus, I'm becoming more like Jesus. Imagine if an angry and hurting and divided world, if there was a loving, caring, united church walking slowly enough to engage with those who are far from God. To show the love of a God who stepped out of heaven And came to earth in the person of his perfect and sinless son, Jesus, who day after day walked toward the cross to give his life for you. If you're following Jesus, guess where you're walking? You're walking to lay down your life for something so much more important. The answer is not more time, it's more what matters. Friends, before we hit the fall, you have time for what you choose to have time for. Let's pray. God, it's a really simple prayer today. Help me walk slowly enough to experience you fully and to love people deeply. We pray all this in your name. Amen.